I was going to ask which which name is more Frisian, uh, uh, Jaustra or Wiebe Wieling, the the chair yeah. of the uh, of the of the Elstede yeah. well, well, I think Vopka Hoekstra trumps them both personally. It's Friday, February the 12th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Snowballing Boa, and with me today are Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Emoji Skeptic, and we welcome back the esteemed Robin Pascoe, Editor of Dutch News and Windmill Tilter-in-Chief. Robin, in your unceasing quest to, uh, to capture the ultimate Dutch stereotype, how many times have you been out to Zanzas Hans this week? I've tried to get there twice, actually, but I've, both times I've failed. It's a bit sad, but it's uh, uh, the roads were just blocked, and I suspect it was because of all the holes that have emerged on the motorways because of the ice. And <laughs> we ended up having a rather nice drive around um, Amsterdam's port area, which was quite interesting, in the snow. <laughs> all right. Did you uh, find any kidnapped Heineken millionaires while you were there? We didn't see anybody, actually. There was, no? you know, it was... It was amazing, though, how the snow does make, you know, even the sort of most industrial landscape look quite look quite attractive. I mean, there's, there's all these coal heaps in the port because it's a massive coal harbour, of oh, course. Yeah. Yeah. And they were covered with snow, all grey, a bit grey now, but it kind of had a sort of picturesque thing about them. We, it was like we were in Belgium or northern England or something. It was... It was it was strange, but it was you know not not quite the Santa's chance, but you know it was good enough. Yeah, it so was good enough. Enough. Are you trying to get out to Santa's chance again at the weekend when everybody's going to be out skating? When everybody else is trying to get there, that was the yes. point of going yesterday was to <laughs> yeah. avoid them. But um, yeah. I have to. I've got my skates. You know, I had them sharpened. You know, oh, I really? mean, I'm I'm ready. So. I'm going to so skate as well uh, this weekend. Now I'm going to go sledging. I think uh, we're, we've got the. We're going to go up into the dunes with the sledge and uh, find some slopes. There are some good ones. It's about you yeah. know. It's a bit hard sledging here, but uh, yeah. Well, we're, well, I'm in the right place, so <laughs> you're in the right a, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Paul, uh, you've been uh, yeah um, very critical of um, political parties using emojis in their campaign literature. So tell us about that. Uh, yeah, I, as I am looking up this uh, particular tweet, um, yeah, I have. I think I've expressed this annoyance very often on the podcast. Uh, that is when politicians tweet with emoji, and especially mm. when they use emoji as bullet points. So um, yeah, the elections are coming up, so you have a lot of. Uh, politicians and political parties tweeting their plans and whenever they talk about i don't know solar energy or something they hmm. uh, use a sun emoji as a bullet point and then the next topic is housing so they hmm. use a house as uh, an emoji of a house as a bullet point and yeah. it's ju it just annoys me very much because you see it at every politician, at every political party, so you know that it is something they learned from one of these over-expensive um, communication strategists. Yeah, exactly. But They'll have been in a meeting, you know, with coffee and those ridiculously small biscuits for about three <laughs> hours, where some, where some social media guru who they've hired for like a four-figure sum tells them that you should use more emojis in your tweets. 
Exactly. Yes. And the other thing they learned is to tweet in paragraphs. So you see a lot of uh, white spaces, uh, yeah. uh, blank, uh, how do you call them? Um, yeah, white space. Yeah. White yeah. spaces yeah. in these tweets. Um, and But but the pinnacle, the the, uh, the CDA hired a, a, sta- a communication social media uh, intern, I guess, who mm. really went off the charts this week. <laughs> the, this tweet uh, was ridiculous in 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 the uses in the use of emoji and they included a picture with the same text as the tweet in it with even more emoji and it was <laughs> um if you it's, they should have given an uh, epileptic warning uh, uh, before they tweeted this because it was just the most ridiculous thing ever yeah you see these politicians twitter fees and it just looks like a kind of like a, a school ball chart or something because it's yeah. so it's so sprinkled with emojis the whole way through yeah, yeah, and it looks just very childish, as if the if the voters are are are, are seven year olds who need who need this to to uh, to to get their attention. And uh, we're not uh, we're not infants, uh, politicians of the Netherlands. Well, I don't know. Some of us are. <laughs> yeah, some of us are. Uh, Gordon, uh, you're a snowballing boa. I, I actually don't want to know what this is about, but go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not really, but I just wanted to shoehorn in this uh, very amusing piece <laughs> of uh, official government advice that came out this week. Uh, because um, yeah, the, 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 whichever department in the civil service is responsible for um, you know, publishing useless uh, bits of uh, very patronizing advice has been having an absolute field day recently. First of all, they gave us the, uh, the whole document about uh, how to watch uh, football matches safely during the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic and how to serve dinner to your guests and how to play games by making sure there's only, only one person touches the dice. And, and how now, to celebrate a goal without <laughs> celebrating a goal. Yeah, and how to have a tart moment so that you can have a socially... <laughs> di- so you can have your birthday parties on Zoom. So, um, and, and this week, uh, they, they, they've published the official advice on how to have safe snowball fights, which is basically you should only have snowball fights with uh, people in your own household. Which I don't yeah. really get, because surely the whole point of a snowball fight is you stand a long way away from people and throw and hurl snowballs. So yeah, there should be thr- no, unless the virus is actually transmitted in the snow, there should be no danger whatsoever. It seems one of the safest things you can do. Yeah, and finally it's safe for you to, to hit the street mayor. Yeah. Or, 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 the, or the police on Dam Square. I mean, there yeah, was a lovely yeah. snowball fight with them. Um, yeah, that was a great scene. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I think that video went pretty viral. Indeed, it was yeah. a very nice video. There was uh, a group of people on Dam Square in Amsterdam who started to. Uh, we know uh, we've seen a lot of um, clashes with police recently in Amsterdam, but this one was very nice when yeah. uh, the police started to uh, have a snowball fight. Uh, it's a different <laughs> kind of water cannon yeah. they used. Yeah, indeed, much more preferable. And uh, yeah, and then this is the. Also, I just like the fact that this happened at quarter past five in the morning, like because the curfew yeah. lasts till half past four, and there yeah. were that many people out at that time in the morning, uh, taking advantage <laughs> of the fact it was no longer curfew that they could have a snowball fight with the police. Yeah, <laughs> it was very lovely. Yeah, but I have to admit that uh, there was a lot of opf about this these snow official government uh, snowball rules, but they just were just uh, the, the 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 you know uh, the the same rules that we have for 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 how many months now uh, yeah. six months or so. You can't be outside with more than uh, two people, and it was just an extension of this rule. Yeah. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't a, um, a, a a snowball protocol especially drawn up for 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 this weekend, but. No, but yeah. I just like, I just like the fact that we, yeah, I just like the fact they were so you know t- typically diligent and thorough that they th- 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 they adapted it for specifically for snowball fights. Yeah, yeah, that was very Dutch. And speaking of snow and ice, uh, Paul, uh, the op of the week uh, is all about um, uh, is a real icebreaker this week. So uh, t- <laughs> t- t- tell us all about it. 
Yeah, enormous uh, ophef broke loose on Thursday morning after a video appeared on Twitter which showed a man sailing his boat over the Prinsengracht in Amsterdam. Normally that wouldn't raise an eyebrow, but this time was different because, uh, you know, following days of extremely cold weather, the canals in Amsterdam were frozen and a man was breaking the ice with his boat. Amsterdamers standing on the side of the canal and on bridges uh, who are hoping to ice skate on the canals in the coming days uh, could be seen yelling at the shipper and calling him an eikel, which is probably the worst insult anyone could get in this country. Um, the video went viral on social media and also on the internet. Uh, the man didn't get a lot of uh, sympathetic comments for his actions. And in the weekend, uh, the municipality of Amsterdam put the ice nota in effect. Uh, that's a protocol banning boats on the canals and uh, closing off locks and uh, sluices in order to allow ice on the canals to grow as much as possible. Uh, the man was fined later that morning, not for breaking the ice, but for sailing in the <laughs> wrong direction. Yeah, that was just the ultimate icing on the cake, wasn't it? <laughs> the fact that breaking the, yeah, the, the fact that he went against the one by system was actually the offence. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, it was a real icebreaker, this... Um... It was, yeah, because it went viral because um, somebody tweeted... Uh, the Vesla just tweeted the path through the ice. You could see where, <laughs> yeah. the, where the ice had been broken through. And then he did a bit of detective work and came up with a video of the guy actually doing it. And a man standing on a canal yeah. bridge shouting at him, you know, so, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, in typical kind of Platt Amsterdam. So it was very funny. <laughs> yeah, and the, the guy who uh, originally spotted the, the, the track of broken ice, uh, he... Uh, um, uh, uh, he f- he knew the the man on the boat, oh. so uh, he asked him what 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 the hell are you doing? But he he wasn't <laughs> aware that he was doing anything wrong. So uh, I think he was the only person in the Netherlands who doesn't have uh, uh, schaatskoorts. Yeah, yeah, but, he, but he's got a serious headache now rather than schaatskoorts from yeah. uh, as a result of his actions. I don't think he's ever going to get served in a bar ever again. Basically, he's going to have to immigrate now. It cost him 250 euros and the rights to live in this country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which I think most people would, uh, on Twitter seem to think was a fair sentence. Uh, people on Twitter sh- uh, uh, almost wanted to, to hang, drawn and quarter him on Dan yeah. Square. Yeah, and then eat his remains. <laughs> Put his tongue on display in the Kofanganaport. <laughs> yeah. This week, everyone outside the Krachtochordel is getting their skates on as the freeze continues. Thierry Baudet is skating on thin ice as some unsavoury apps come to light, but the artist's zoo lions have been frozen out by the French. And we'll tell you how Amsterdam's Zaudas district has secured itself an early Brexit bonus. Yes, Gordon, who needs a Brexit bonus when you've got snow and ice? It's exactly the sort of antidote the Dutch need to the lockdown and the curfew. Nothing but nothing takes over the Netherlands more than the thought of being able to skate outside. Forget the fact that the trains stop working, the newspapers aren't delivered, you can't get a pizza to your door and all the roads end up full of holes. The only thing the Dutch really care about in the winter is, will it be cold enough to skate? Yeah. So how cold has it actually been? Well, our listeners who are used to real winters, all you Canadians and you Swedes and you Russians are laughing your thermal socks off right now (laughs) because it's chaos here after a few centimetres of snow. But it has been chilly and Sunday's blizzard had strong enough winds up to Gale Force 8 to be officially branded as a snowstorm. In fact, earlier this week, the lowest temperature in the Netherlands in eight years was recorded in the village of Hupsel in the far east of Gelderland, where the temperature dropped to minus 15.4 Celsius. Mind you, that's still a long way to go to meet the lowest Dutch temperature ever recorded, which was 27.4 Celsius, 
registered in the appropriately named place of Wintersweg in 1942. <laughs> yeah, so everyone is uh, is out making the most of the ice, but what about what really matters, the Elfstedentocht? Ah, yes, the legendary skating race around the 11 cities of Friesland, taking in 200 kilometers of lakes, rivers and canals. I've lived here for 30 years, and every time we get a bit of frost, this is what people start talking about. In fact, the last time the race took place was in 1997, and this year the government and the race organisers have been very clear it's not going to happen, thanks to coronavirus. If things stay the way they are, we can't organise a race with up to a million and a half visitors and 24,000 skaters jostling for position at the start, the organiser said at the end of last year. And that was before there was even a cold snap on the cards. Mind you, the weather seems to have taken it all out of our hands anyway, as the latest forecast suggests the thaw will set in on Sunday or Monday, which I have to say stops Prime Minister Mark Rutter from becoming the most unpopular man in the country. Yeah, that could have been a nightmare for Rutter, couldn't it? He'd have had to call off the old Stadatov three weeks before an election. I mean, I think that could have just uh, lost it for him. He would have been hanged, drawn and quartered on the market <laughs> yes. in Leeuwarden or whatever Absolutely. square they have over there. Yeah. He would have joined um, the man on the boat from the Prince of Kraft. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah as, a, as an absolute outcast. But yes, uh, his number in the polls would drop uh, faster than the temperature in Winterswijk in 1942. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but this, this didn't stop politicians from um, insisting that the Elfstedentocht uh, uh, would go through anyway, because we have the, a very curious coalition of Thierry Baudet, Geert Wilders and Rob Jette, yeah. of deze sister, who all insisted that uh, we must have an Elfstedentocht if the temperature is right. And while everyone in The Hague was debating about whether or not we uh, we will have an Elfstedentocht or not, I, I very much enjoyed the people on Twitter who actually lived in uh, Friesland, you know, the, the, the geographical location mm. that actually matters in all of this, who tweeted the photos of, of the waterways in front of their house, which is uh, the route of the Elfstedentocht with no ice mm. whatsoever. So uh, everyone in, in Friesland was already already knew that it wasn't going to happen. Um, uh, nonetheless, everybody was debating about it uh, for the for the past, uh, well, what is it, six days or something. Yeah, because it's been relatively, it's been not so cold in Friesland, has it? It's only got down to about minus three or four there compared no. to uh, the, 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 the really high, uh, sorry, the really low temperature temperatures he had in other parts of the country so yeah that is a, that is a small thing and it's a classic thing that uh, everyone says politicians are out of touch with uh, the people in the provinces and then you know the, as soon as it freezes in the hague everyone assumes that uh, this also going to be icy in friesland it wasn't at all yeah so that's quite amazing. yeah but there are a lot of uh, very disappointed people that there will be no national uh, marathon championships on natural ice which yeah. uh, they were also hoping that they would hold and I think that would be the first time since oh I can't remember 2013 but also, I think 2013 yeah. okay um, yeah. and that also is now officially not going to happen so uh, you know there's a lot of very disappointed people and I think it's it's yeah I'm disappointed I've got my skates ready you know I mean <laughs> yeah but you can go skating Robin you, know, you just can't take part in a national competition yeah, not yeah. good enough. Or skate yeah. over the Prinsengracht. No. No, I've done that, though. You see, I have done that several times, and it is it is the most amazing thing to be able to do. Yeah. So I do get it. I do get, you know, why it's uh, 
in you know part of the Dutch DNA is something really magical about skating outside. And I've had skates around Broekenwaterland and places north of Amsterdam where it's just been like out of a fairy story. It's just yeah. wonderful. So I do yeah. understand, but you know I'm realistic as well. It's Especially not really when you have these wintry landscapes all around you, these endless boulders. Um, 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 yeah completely wide it's uh, it is indeed a magical thing yeah and, you see, and when you see these big uh, open stretches of water all freeze over like the Marca Mira, i think seeing people skating on there uh, yesterday and uh, yeah it, it is amazing to see people just bombing along and the fact that you can just skate for miles and miles and miles along the whole canal network it's a really special thing but you do you have ice skates uh, gordon no I've, I've never learned to skate uh, my children have <laughs> so uh, i'm gonna have to just watch them get out but i would i would fall over <laughs> and that's why i don't have a passport you see <laughs> Yeah, that's the reason. I failed the skating test. Yes, and the and the and the drop test. Yeah. Another week, another leak of problematic text messages from Forum for Democracy politicians. This time, it didn't involve backbenchers, staff members, or random party members, but it was the political leader himself, Thierry Baudet, who was at the center of the storm. In the WhatsApp messages that were leaked to Elsevier Weekblad, which uh, is, is they, they renamed themselves. They're now EW Magazine, I believe, but I just refuse to call them that. I will yeah, or it's I just, just EU Magazine, which is maybe the reaction of a lot of people <laughs> when they read Baudet's yeah. tweets. <laughs> yeah, I will just call them Elsevier. <laughs> um, in that article, uh, you could read that Baudet and other candidate MPs expressed racist and homophobic comments. In one chat, Baudet said that white people have an average IQ of 110, while Hispanics had 90 and Afro-Americans only had 75. He also asked uh, Gideon van Meijeren and Yannick Chevalier, these are the number 6 and number 23 on the party list, if they would allow their sister to come home with an N-word, and he use the actual n-word here uh van Meijer's answer was hell no baudet replied with a puking emoji when someone said cda had an eternal uh, diversity commission another candidate mp has said other problematic things as well such as andreas bakir who said i don't have any problems with n-words as long as they stay in africa Elsevier also wrote that the Forum for Democracy men often used the word homo as an insult. Hours before the article was published, Baudet posted a video online in which he didn't deny the allegations, but did say it was, quote, a stupid witch hunt by the media and a totalitarian regime. Uh, he repeated similar things later that afternoon in front of dozens of journalists and reporters in the Tweede Kamer building. Yeah, it's always interesting to see that uh, uh, when politicians yell that nobody uh, is interested in hearing hearing uh, their side of the story while they are surrounded by journalists, but that's a different story. Um, he said the cartel is afraid of our rise in the polls and now they are trying to put a spanner in the works. He said Forum for Democracy is currently polled at three seats and that's the lowest number since April 2017. So yeah, not, not much of a rise, uh, I would say. Um, it wasn't the first time damning text messages by Forum for Democracy party members were leaked. In November last year, basically all elected representatives left the parties when leaked text messages showed anti-Semitism and racism in the party's youth organization. So is there any danger to Baudet's position as party leader from uh, these latest revelations, Paul? No, not at all. Yeah, the thing is, everyone who had a problem with FAD's yeah, sort of uh, problem with racism, xenophobia and anti-Semitism uh, already had that chance to leave in November, uh, you know, following the uh, Yair Fede scandal. And this basically means that the only people left at the FAD are the ones who yeah, don't really mind these sort of things uh, uh, mm. and are 
yeah, more or less okay with these sort of uh, problematic comments. Uh, and FA Day spin- is now spinning this story as just another attack from the elite and the party and media cartel, you know, the exact same thing the party uh, was founded uh, 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 to fight against. So. Yeah, yeah, but because uh, uh, some of the people who did leave the party over um, back in the autumn uh, were also in, in these uh, WhatsApp chats, so this might uh, possibly um, damage uh, Yeah 21 as well, the, the the spin-off party yeah exactly and uh yeah as long as uh elsevier doesn't uh publish these uh, group chats uh you know in in total we will we won't know um uh what what these people have said or not have said so but what what about the reactions from other politicians yeah, nobody was really surprised by the new revelations, yes. uh, you know, given the history of Forum for Democracy and p- problematic text messages. Um, and uh, it was VVD MP Dilanje Silgus who tweeted, if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is probably a duck. And I Deze 60 leader Rob Jetten's response was interesting because he condemned the text messages but immediately pointed out that CDA and VVD uh, have formed a coalition with FVD in Brabant. And these parties are, of course, uh, his, ma- his, uh, his biggest uh, uh, opponents in, uh, in the upcoming elections. Uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte said in talk show Op1 that the leaked uh, text messages were terrible and that for him they are more than enough reason to rule out a coalition with FVD. Day. That wasn't going to happen anyway, was it? No. I was going to say, I would have hoped that he'd ruled that out long ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but mind uh, you, we always get this now, don't we, in the run-up to the election. Everybody's always being asked, will you will you form a coalition with him? Will you phone a coalition with her? Yeah. It's sort of, it, it's kind of tedious, really, because you, you kind of know. I mean, what do we think is going to happen? I think we're going to have the same coalition again after the March vote. Yeah, probably it looks like uh, it looks like uh, it could happen. Uh, it's very a plausible scenario if you look at the polls right now. Um, uh, I think I've said it before that I don't think Deza Sestag is really happy in the current coalition, and they, uh, I, I don't see them um, uh, uh, joining a new coalition uh, that easily. Um, but yeah, it could it could be very plausible that we will have the same coalition again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for Deza Sestag, the, the dilemma is going to be if they lose um, a, a substantial number of seats, um, will they want to go back into the coalition? Because that can damage you again if you, you know that that that. that that, 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 that was a problem the CDR had, I think, um, when they went into the coalition in 2010 after having their number of seats halved, and it actually just um, uh, made the differences within the parties um, even 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 more pronounced. So the, the, the plot thickens about Rob Yetton's support for the Alice Data Talk. I must say, indeed, yeah, <laughs> is, is, he, is he secretly sort of a, yeah uh, sending out uh, exploratory um, t- tentative messages to the PFV? <laughs> yeah, the informal uh, coalition talks already started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would be. I would no. I would. Uh, I would eat my hat if the Desa <laughs> would ever come in a coalition with PVV. And I don't even have a hat, so I have to buy one. As expected, the 9pm to 4.30am curfew has been extended until March the 2nd amid fears that the so-called British variant of coronavirus is gaining ground. And the government won't let up on calling it the British variant, even though people no. are clamouring for them uh, to, 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 uh, to stop doing it. Yeah, and also the um, director of the RFEM also keeps calling it the British uh, variant. Yeah. Uh, every, everyone, everyone is doing it, yeah. Yeah. The latest RFEM statistical report showed that the B117 strain 
now accounts for around two-thirds of infections and cases are rising, although in the last week they have started to level off. Um, and the numbers are hard to read at the moment anyway because of the snow and the ice of uh, shut the testing yeah. centres over the weekend. Some regions, like Friesland, Groningen and Hoenvechtstreek, recorded a slight increase in infections. The overall numbers are still going down, uh, although at a slower rate. The next review of the lockdown will be on February the 23rd, when the government will decide which rules can be relaxed, if any, on March the 2nd. So how are the vaccinations going? I know that AstraZeneca is sort of starting up this week, maybe even today. Yeah, today, Friday, is supposed to be the day that they start with the AstraZeneca vaccinations. And the overall vaccination rate has picked up this week. Uh, Hugo de Jong revised the schedule to uh, start eating into the big stockpile of vaccines. We had like a sort of a vaccine mountain at one point, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the only mountain we have in the Netherlands was the vaccine yeah. mountain. Yeah, and also... <laughs> You could slay from this mountain. You could actually, yeah. yeah. I, might, I might try that this weekend. Actually, slay down the, uh, the, the the big the big pile of vaccines. Yeah. So far, six hundred sixty thousand have been administered, and next week, people aged between sixty and eighty five will join the queue. The government says it's still on track to immunise everybody who wants a jab by October the 1st, although de Jong warned that shortages of supplies, and I think he was staring very hard at AstraZeneca here, <laughs> could slow the progress. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we are, I have to admit, we are uh, catching up very fast right now. Uh, Currently, uh, 2.7% of people in the Netherlands have received the vaccine, uh, and we are almost uh, at the average um, uh, number of the European Union. So uh, we are catching up. Yeah, we're making it. And uh, how about the hospital numbers? Yeah, there were better uh, statistics from the hospitals actually last week. Hospital admissions were falling faster than infections, and uh, they always lag two to three weeks behind. So uh, when you see that two weeks ago we had quite a healthy sort of 20% drop in infections, we're seeing that now in the hospital figures. Intensive care admissions were down by 33% in the seven days to Tuesday, and uh, so we now have currently just under 2,000 patients in hospital and less than 550 in intensive care, and those are the lowest numbers since early October. So, so things are kind of going in the right direction, but of course we've got the election in, you know, un- a month. Um, what, what on earth is being said about that? Yeah, um, that's a real potential spanner in the works. And up until now, not a awful lot's been said about it. They just assume the elections will be okay. But with five weeks to go, there are increasingly loud murmurs from medics and mayors who are worried about the election possibly triggering or amplifying a third wave. Deputy Prime Minister Keisha Olonkhun insists there are no plans to change the date from March the 17th. She says the measures brought in to make polling stations corona-proof and to allow postal voting for over 70s are sufficient. But the third wave is expected to peak in the second half of March, and Diederik Hommers, the head of the National Intensive Care Association, said he was worried that hospitals wouldn't be able to cope with a big rise in emissions. The other worry is the pandemic could have an impact on turnout, and people just won't go out and vote because they're worried about getting infected. France had regional elections a year ago, just as the first wave was kicking in, and the number of people taking part there slumped from 63% in 2014 to 45%. Now, Mark Rutter has said the elections will be postponed if necessary, but uh, yeah, all these signs are that the government is in, is intent on um, allowing people to go out and vote. Of course, the other thing we should mention is that the Partei for the Dieren, the Animal Rights Party, yesterday went to court um, seeking an injunction to allow everyone to have the right to postal voting, not just people over 70. Um, because uh, they argue that there are people with health conditions who are younger than 70 who will be deterred from voting if they, if they have to go to a polling station. 
But they are going to spread voting out, aren't they, over three days? Yeah, that's the other thing. There's a lot of polling stations are going to open on Monday, on the on the fifteenth. Uh, I kind of find it odd that uh, postal voting just isn't the standard thing here, whereas it is, it, it is in most countries. You know, you can always vote by post if you're on holiday at the time of the election, for example. There's no voting by computer here no, either, of no, course, because of so. a scandal. I think fifteen years ago, but you would have thought they could have got that sorted out by now. They had a problem last time, didn't they? They were going to have uh, voting computers, and they discovered that they were worried about uh, the potential of them being hacked by the Russians so they they cancelled all electronic voting yeah yeah I have to admit that um, uh, voting with uh, with a red pencil and you can bring your own red pencil it doesn't mm. have to uh, uh, you can bring one yourself if yeah. you want to it, as long as it's red you can vote yes um, and they're sanitizing the red pencils this time as well aren't they they're, are clean, they? they're cleaning it. yeah they are they're cleaning the pencils after every use <laughs> to make sure that they're they're, they're corona safe that's interesting <laughs> but yeah I, d- I don't know why uh, why uh, uh, postal voting isn't standard I think because you know we have so many do you know why? Stations. I know why. Because there's no bloody post boxes left. I mean, they're taking <laughs> them all away. I've been talking to people down our street. It's nearer to get to three polling stations from where we live than it is to get to a post box. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that wasn't an issue um, t- uh, 10 years ago. But nobody's talking about, you know, the fact that voting by post is all well and true but if you're disabled and incapable of moving around very easily or worried about coronavirus you know going half a kilometer across town to find a post box is you know perhaps a bit bit of a bit of a long stretch if you rely on Dutch news to keep you abreast of the latest OPEFs, snowball safety protocols, or which of the 37 political parties has fallen apart this week why not become a Patreon sponsor for as little as a dollar or a euro a month, you can warm our hearts and ensure our analysis stays as sharp as a skater's blade. This week we give a big welcome to two new patrons, Charlotte Murphy and Danny Turton. Neither had a question for us, but we're very grateful for your support all the same, and thank you very much. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast, get a free shout-out and ask us a question if you wish. Um, log on to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n, slash dutchnewsnl. There was more good news for the government this week, by the way, in the form of a front page story on the Financial Times. It said that Amsterdam had overtaken London as Europe's top share trading hub with a fourfold increase in business in January. The paper said an average of 9.2 billion in shares were traded on the Amsterdam Euronext, the CBOE Europe and the Turquoise exchanges. And that's four times the December 2020 total. In London, by contrast, volumes fell to 8.6 billion euros. Analysts actually told the paper that the shift is due to a ban on EU-based financial institutions trading in London because the EU has not yet recognised UK exchanges as having the same supervisory status as European venues. So surely this is good news on jobs, Dan? Well, no, not really, actually, because traders are more interested in costs and liquidity rather than the physical location of where they are. And trading is all done online at the moment anyway. So really where you are doesn't matter. But, you know, nevertheless, it's a psychological boost for the Dutch capital. It's a big story for the FT. And of course, it'll probably help attract more small traders to move to the Netherlands if they're setting up a European operation. Yeah, as they're being encouraged to, of course, by the British government. Um, yeah, so, so this actually affects a very quite a small number of jobs. But uh, could there be a snowball effect, uh, do you think, Robin, where if this line of business moves, it'll encourage more people to transfer or more companies to transfer more of their staff across uh, from the UK to the European mainland? Lovely reference to the uh, to the weather uh, here, Gordon. <laughs> yeah. There have been a few uh, small kind of trading special 
specialised trading operations moving. But uh, as I said, no, in a, in a sort of large volume in terms of jobs, no. Um, and in fact, we've had you know more bad news on jobs this week. You know, forget the slightly good news there. Heineken and Rabobank have both published their figures this week. Both have announced job losses this morning. Volksbank also announced job losses. In fact, Heineken warned last year it was going to cut its workforce. It's shedding 8,000 jobs worldwide, of which 300 will go at its Amsterdam headquarters. And that's only got a workforce of 1,700. And Rabobank said on Thursday it was going to cut 5,000 jobs in the coming year as part of a drive to boost digitalisation and cost costs. Exactly the same reason why Volksbank said it was going to uh, cut jobs to boost digitalisation and cut costs. You know, both Heineken and Rabobank made hefty profits last year, even if they were well down on 2019. IBM Amro, however, didn't do so well. It managed to post a loss of 45 million last year. So bad news for big businesses, Dan, and have the employers' organisations reacted? No, no, not in so many words. But the big two, the VNO NCV and the small firm association, MKB Nederland, have just published a new strategy, which they hope will influence the parties forming a new government after the election. Their new approach is based on extensive dialogue with members and focuses on, wait for it, achieving a society with equal opportunities, work for all and a sustainable living environment with increased emphasis on combating climate change alongside their more traditional standpoints, such as cutting red tape. Hmm. Entrepreneurs, they said in a statement, have a responsibility to be at the forefront to halt global warming and the depletion of the Earth's resources. They operate at the heart of society, are an integral part of that society and feel a shared sense of responsibility for it, however large or small their business is. It's kind of an ironic thought at the same time when some of their members are announcing loads of job losses because they want to be more efficient. But, you know, there you go. Yeah, so someone swallowed a big um, management uh, speak dictionary there, haven't they? It was it was quite a thing to wade <laughs> through. I, in fact, there were figures out this morning from the CBS that showed that around half of Dutch companies with more than two employees have had some form of government help uh, to get through the coronavirus. Most of that was in the form of wage support, but uh, also support in paying fixed costs and and the various other measures that there, that have been including uh, loan deferments for example so you are beginning to see i think sort of the effect of the pandemic on jobs and on the economy because it's of course been lagged because of all the government money that they've pumped in but uh, you know front page of the financial times about uh, beating london i mean that must have done good to an awful lot of people yeah it's always nice to beat london and we didn't even have to sail to chatham this time <laughs> All new adoptions from abroad are being suspended in the wake of a highly critical report that documented systemic abuses over a period of 30 years. A team led by Chibo Yastra, you might remember him from the MH17 Safety Board Inquiry, yeah, uh, criticised the role of government officials and highlighted abuses including corruption, documentary fraud, child snatching and even trafficking. Although the vast majority of children who were adopted had a positive experience, Justice Minister Sander Decker acknowledged that the government had failed to act on evidence of abuse. Quote, the positive sentiment surrounding adoption in the last century is an explanation, but no justification, he said. Adoption procedures that have already started won't be stopped, but extra checks will be built into the process. But what prompted this inquiry in the first place? Well, it started with um, some concerns about uh, the illegal adoption of babies from Brazil in the 1970s and 1980s, and then it was widened to cover Indonesia, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka and Colombia. Uh, MPs have been aware in the past that there have been incidents of abuse, but this is the first time that the real scale of the problem was laid bare. 
As Sander Decker said, uh, the image of adoption as a noble and selfless act, where parents were rescuing children from poverty and oppression, meant abuses went unchecked, and MPs found it hard to perceive how big the problems were. So, when exactly did it start to go wrong? Well, according to René Hoxberg, who's an academic specialising in adoption, things changed in the mid-1970s, when uh, the number of adoption organisations started to proliferate. And he told NSA that as long ago in 1975, he was arguing there should be a single agency supervised by the Justice Ministry to ensure proper accountability. Having children's come to be seen as a right, he said, and adoption has became a solution for couples who couldn't do so naturally. He added that cross-border adoption shouldn't be abolished permanently, but much better oversight was needed in order to prevent uh, the kind of abuses we've seen in the past. What have the children at the centre of this been saying? I mean, I guess it's them and their adoptive parents and their natural parents are the the really important ones here. Yeah, I mean, as part of the inquiry, they they did a survey and um, they said that uh, about 70% of children who've been adopted in this way said they had happy childhoods, but that's uh, compared to about 80% of children who aren't adopted. Uh, René Hoxbergen also said that uh, that it is quite clear in the figures that uh, children who've arrived in the Netherlands as cross-border adoptees uh, are more likely to have uh, problems later in life, uh, either with uh, addiction or with uh, criminality or even suicide. So there's clear evidence that this has had a very severe impact on some of the people involved but there are many who will say they're very pleased that they were brought to the Netherlands and raised in a much safer uh, country than they than they would have otherwise been. There are so many strange things coming out from the sort of 50s, 60s, 70s involving children. I mean we had all the, the child abuse in the church uh, ideas, we've we've got this. There's, there seemed to be a is it a particularly Dutch attitude to children? What is it? I don't think so. You've had this in all countries, haven't you? You've had the Irish, if you've seen the Magdalene sisters, you know, that, that was a, a case of... Uh Children being raised in, um, yeah, in, in the custody of the church, away from their families, um, and, and, and there's all kinds of abuse went on there as well. I think in any situation where you have uh, people in authority who are, whose authority is unquestioned, like say priests in Ireland or the Scouts, uh, was another thing. Uh, where that authority is unchallenged, there'll always be people in that system who will abuse their position. Sadly, and it's only now that uh, the scale of it is starting to come out, and these historic abuses uh, are coming to light. Yeah, it just surprises me that. It, that that these sort of things take four, five, sometimes six decades to come out. Yeah, I guess in the past it was just assumed that uh, you were doing a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, the argument was you were taking the children away from deprived circumstances, from parents who, who were suffering with you know, addiction or mental health, and there wasn't the support for them that there is these days. And the answer, the standard answer in those days was to take their children away from them. Um, you know, it's, it's been a long uh, sort of cultural turnaround um, to, to, to realise that this you know, led to a lot of things happening that were unacceptable. Mind you, you know, not all adoptions uh, go well. Uh, I think there's also one in France that's not going too well, wouldn't you say, Paul? (laughs) That's a good transition. Uh, Three Dutch lions cannot be transferred to a French zoo due to problems with finding a different home for its own lion, the zoo director has told Dutch News. Pierre Caillet, director of the Zoo de la Palmyre, said it was unfortunate that news had leaked out that three lions from Artist Zoo in Amsterdam would be transferred to his institution in southwest France, because the transfer cannot go ahead. Due to the coronavirus lockdown and a significant decrease in visitor income, Artist has said that it cannot expand its lion enclosure as planned and announced that it had to find new homes for its lions in France. But it later retracted this, saying the move has fallen through. 
Kaye told DutchNews.nl that his own zoo had been searching for another home for its female lioness in order to welcome the Dutch lions, but that due to the pandemic this had been impossible. Multiple countries have reported that zoos have been having difficulties meeting the cost of housing and feeding their animals after being shut or restricted in visitor numbers for months. Dutch zoos have told the Algemeen Dagblad that they have had to sack staff, start emergency donation campaigns and even consider euthanizing some animals. Yeah. I think artists as well had a donation campaign set up as well and Blydorp in in uh, in Rotterdam so yeah a lot of zoos uh, uh, really have troubles uh, in this pandemic yeah the, the whole thing about this zoo story I was really suspicious I have to say when it came out because nobody was saying what the French zoo was and if you remember a while ago there was a little issue with a circus elephant that there was the last elephant and one of the plans was to send it to an elephant sanctuary in France. And we actually checked this out and discovered there is an elephant sanctuary in France. The only slight problem is it has no elephants in it yeah. yet. <laughs> so we were a bit like, you know, is this zoo real? Where is this zoo? So we actually got hold of them and they were really surprised that, that artists had announced that the lions would be leaving because yeah. they were mm. trying to sort out the problem. They couldn't introduce the three artist lions to their lioness because you would disrupt the pride. So it was a sort of chain of, of finding a new home for a lion. I must say, I don't know the, the zoo in France. I know the area, lots of uh, lots of sunshine. So it was probably rather nice, a bit nicer than being stuck in artists, I would have said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> being stuck in Amsterdam, not being able to skate on the Prinsengracht. It's awful. Oh, but have you seen the sad, sad yeah. videos of the polar bears that are inside rolling around in the snow? You know, I mean... Yeah, yeah. and the penguins. The penguins had to be taken inside because it was too cold. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe it will it will start a little bit of sort of soul searching about zoos because you know yeah. I'm not a big zoo fan. I understand artists does quite a lot of good work in terms of endangered species, but there is no real reason why a zoo in the centre of Amsterdam should keep lions anymore. There really isn't. No, and the enclosures in artists are really small, aren't they? Really cramped, and to have these huge animals just stuck in there, it's it just seems to be um, outdated. Uh, let's keep it that way. And yeah, especially this video of this uh, uh, polar bear playing in the snow. Uh, it went uh, viral on the internet. I was like, yeah, if there was only a way to to have this polar bear playing the snow permanently. Right, just yeah. move it to the Arctic, and then this is a happy polar bear for his entire life, and not just this uh, once in a lifetime opportunity when it snows in Amsterdam. I'm also not a not a big fan of uh, of zoos. If there is a zoo that I like, it is um, the Beekse Berge, which is more like a safari uh, zoo where these animals uh, just walk around and they're not stuck in cages. But um, I agree that uh, that artist is uh, way too small. Yeah, it's only cramped. I've been to the Nordderdeer Park in Emmen a lot, and that's that, that, that's more like the Beksbergen as well. It's much more open. Um, yeah. And they moved it to a new site um, out on the edge of Emmen, so it's, uh, you know, it's open fields. and uh, Yeah, and the plus side of the uh, Norderdierepark in Emmen is that there are no people there. So animals just have uh, just a all the space for themselves. <laughs> That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. 
My thanks to Palpatas and Robin Pascoe. I'm Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.